Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We are going to be in Titus 3. We're finishing the book of Titus today. Titus 3. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15. The foolish, the factious, and the fruitful. How do you like that title? Titus 3. Father, thank you for every soul that's come into this place today. We're just so grateful to be together again. We don't take for granted another beautiful day where we can wake up and your mercies are new, fresh every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Thank you that when we worship you in spirit and in truth, we're told in scripture that you inhabit the praises of your people. There's something beautiful, something I think quite unique about corporate worship. Nothing like it in all the world. And it's a foretaste, Lord, of what's ahead when we will be in your presence. Hebrews even tells us that you will sing what a day that will be. Until that day comes, Lord, we're told in the book of Titus, even though we're saved by grace, to be people who are godly. We've been defining that as a God-centered life or a God-dominated life. And that's what we want to be, Lord, and we know that that's a process, and part of how that works is we hear your word, and your word shapes and changes and feeds and molds and challenges even some of the ideas that we had maybe even for a long time as Christians. So we just want to open our hearts today. We open our ears today. We want to hear what you have to say and then make sure that our lives line up with the truth of your word. Your word, the psalmist says, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. How we need that illumination, Lord. How we need that direction. So speak to us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're finishing a uh, book of the Bible, only three chapters, and we've called the overall book Grace and Godliness. One of the great statements on grace in all the New Testament is found in verses four through seven of Titus 3. Actually, let's go back uh, to verse three. It says, we also once were foolish ourselves, Titus 3, 3, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, Titus 3, 5. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. If you haven't written in your Bible there, write John 3, 3 through 5, because that's a great description of being born again right there. You receive the washing of regeneration, that means to regenerate, to make new, and you are renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus when you're born again of the Holy Spirit. The old is gone, the new has come. Whom he poured out upon us, verse six, richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified, there's a key theological word, justification. It means in Greek to be declared righteous before God. 
That when you stand before God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, you are now justified. Scholars have said a good way to define that word is just as if you've never sinned. But it's even more powerful than that. It actually means that you have right now, if you are a Christian, the righteousness of Christ credited to your account by faith. And it's called the great exchange of the cross, and I don't think we can say it too many times. The great exchange of the cross means this, when Christ died and you received Christ as your savior, all of your sin went to him and all of his righteousness comes to you. That's an incredible, amazing gift. I'm not sure that I walk in that reality every day just to be quite candid. Uh, I've been trying to really get my arms around that for the last 30 years, (laughs) that I'm saved by grace, by grace, by grace. But I'm a forgiven man and you're a forgiven person if you are in Christ. In fact, you are justified, how? Look at verse seven, by his grace. Grace is a gift, it's a good way to to, uh, define the word. Grace is a gift. It can't be earned or even deserved. It's just simply God's grace. We were justified by his grace that we might be made heirs, and this is the other beauty of who you are in Christ. You are now a co-heir with Christ according to the hope of eternal life. In the the New Testament, the word hope is elpis, E-L-P-I-S. It doesn't mean I hope so. It means I know so. The hope of eternal life is fixed, sure, trustworthy. So we have this hope, and Paul rounds out this section by saying this, all of that that he's spoken in those verses there, and you could say even really the whole book uh, up to this point, this is a trustworthy statement. The immediate context, of course, is this great salvation statement that we've just read in verses three through seven. This is a trustworthy statement. Just in case you are wondering, could it really be true? Could it really apply to me? Maybe I'm the exception. Maybe everybody else is saved by grace except me. No, it's trustworthy. You can take this to the bank. This is a trustworthy statement. And Paul said this um, in 1 Timothy 1, and he was even talking about his own life, and he said, I was once ignorant. I was once, you know, even a persecutor of the church. And this is a trustworthy statement. God came to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. I'm the chief of sinners. So just in case you thought you couldn't be saved, take a look at me, says Paul. I was once Saul. I persecuted the church. I was there when Stephen was killed. I really hated Christians. I hated what the church stood for, what Paul would say, but this is trustworthy. We're saved by grace. And concerning these things, verse eight, I want you, Titus, but I I think we could say of all Christians and I think specifically here, pastors, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God, that's Christians, Christians are those who have believed God, may be careful, now here's where we move from doctrine to duty, may be careful to engage in good deeds. And we've been saying that throughout the book of Titus, we wanna make sure we have the order correct. First comes grace, then godliness springs from grace. Godliness is one of the characteristics of a life in love with Jesus Christ. It is a person who realizes that uh, I do what I do as a thank you note to God's grace. I don't do what I do to get saved, I'm already saved. I do what I do because of this great gift that I have received. How could I do any less, I think, is part of what goes on in the Christian's heart. 
So uh, this is what we need to be doing. We need, we've believed God, now we need to be careful to engage in good deeds, verse eight. These things are good and profitable for men. Now that's all recap, and we've had um, a lot of different uh, Experiences in the book of Titus, but I just want to sum up really quick these areas where it t- tells us to uh, engage in good deeds. Just look back at uh, verse 7 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, In all these things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified. Go to 2.14. It says, Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. What should we be? Zealous for good deeds. Look at 3.8. 3.8 says we should be careful to engage in good deeds. We just read that. And then look at verse 14 of chapter 3. Let our people learn, this implies a process, and that's good news for all of us, learn to engage in good deeds and to meet pressing needs. You can see that the New Testament is filled with these kinds of admonitions that you're saved by grace, but it doesn't end there. Now you want to do good deeds. We were up on our elders retreat last weekend and we spend some time in prayer and vision for not only the coming year, but you know, maybe even the next five or 10 years. And we, Mike Rizzi led us in a devotion where we looked at the parable in Matthew 25 of the talents. And one was given, what was it, uh, five, two, and one. And one of, the, one of the, the persons who was given this talent, he dug a hole in the ground and left it there and just basically covered it up and did nothing. And he was treated as a non-believer. You wicked slave. You should at least have put my money in the bank that I might have got some interest. And this owner goes on a long journey. When he comes back, the, the one who had the five made five more. The one that had the two made two more. The one who buried it showed that he was not a believer. Then the great section comes in Matthew 25, if you want to just note this, in 31 through 46, where Jesus says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was sick, and you came to me. I was in prison, and so forth, and so on. And, And the righteous will say, when did we see you in this condition, sick or thirsty or hungry? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. There's a lot of people that say, oh, is that section, does that section teach that you're saved by works? No. But what it teaches that works are the inevitable result of a life that's been graced by God. Amen? They're just going to come out. It's, it's the seed of the word of God. You've been born again, and now, inevitably, fruit is going to come out of your life. These could be called the priorities of grace or the good deeds that flow out of a life that has been saved by grace. But, we're about to get a but. <laughs> and a few weeks ago, I told you that Pastor John's famous line, I'm throwing him under the bus constantly, but anyway, he loves me. I told you that Pastor John, when he's counseling people, says everything that follows but, because there's a lot of people that say, yeah, but, 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 is baloney, okay? We've almost made that a theological construct. However, it's not necessarily true in all cases. There is a but here, and it's actually biblical. It's right, 
There is some qualifications to these principles of how we go about living out a life of grace. And here's how you could categorize this. Grace has its boundaries. You might want to write that down. Grace has boundaries. Some of us struggle with boundaries. We even need boundaries for our boundaries. I don't even know how to figure that out. (laughs) Apparently, not everything that follows but is baloney. (laughs) It's Mike Massaro, and you're listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. And we'll get back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. But I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available. It's Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's about spiritual warfare, how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The special offer is, if you go to livingtruthradio.org, that's livingtruthradio.org, and click on the donate button, for any donation, we'll send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you tell us in the contact form that you'd like the book. Now, back to Pastor Michael. All right, here's verse 9. But shun... If you have an ESV, New King James, NIV, it says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, in verse 8, we are told to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable, but there are some things that are unprofitable, and literally, they are worthless. In fact, they are counterproductive. Ever been in a conversation where you just go, oh my goodness. This is going nowhere good. You ever been in a dispute with a family member? And you're like, this? Pull up, mating! Sometimes the best thing that you can do is take a time out in a discussion. Amen? Now I know there's a Bible verse that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That verse means try to quickly reconcile problems, but if you're arguing at night, the sun has already gone down. (laughs) Everybody with me? The principle here is not that you have to talk about everything in the moment. Some people need to cool their jets for a little while, get it together, go and pray, Go get a frozen yogurt. Then they're prepared to talk. Some people are chasers. We're going to deal with this right now. (laughs) Some people are runners. No, we're not. (laughs) In marriage, you must find the middle ground. And all God's people said? Amen. Yeah. Anyway. You know when it's good truth, right? Some things, look at verse 9, are to be shunned or avoided. And here, the first thing listed is foolish controversies. The word for foolish is moros in Greek. It's where we get the idea of being a moron. And I'm not joking. This is the Greek word. If you look it up in a lexicon, the word moros means to be dull or stupid. It means to be a blockhead. (laughs) You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? (laughs) 
It is biblical to call people blockheads. Just kidding, you should, don't do that. But there are foolish controversies. The word controversy here is a Greek word too hard to pronounce, but it means uh, that which is speculative. Uh, It means that which is causing dispute, debate, but it is not a positive, like fruitful debate. It's just a meaningless debate. It's, It's about things that are speculative. It's about things that are weird. You know, there are some people, they spend their life majoring on the minors, Things that good theologians have disagreed about for 2,000 years, not essential doctrine, you know, peripheral kind of stuff. Don't waste your time there. You can do your own study. You can, you can go down those rabbit trails, and certainly it's worth studying some of those things. But in the end, if you're going to argue and debate and divide over these things, there are some people that they just live on the fringe, and, and they want to debate it constantly. And at some point, you just have to say, I'm not going there anymore. If you want to talk about the deity of Christ or the Trinity, we'll spend some time there. But even there, some people can get so ridiculous that it becomes unfruitful. Matthew 7 is the classic, let's turn there together. Matthew 7 is the classic text on judge not, lest you be judged, right? Every unbeliever knows this text. Matthew 7. I've heard that it's surpassed John 3.16 in terms of that the whole world knows this text. And we need to understand it. Jesus did say in Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge lest you be judged. But he was talking about a certain type of judgment and it becomes clear what he's talking about. He says, for in the way that you judge, Matthew 7, 2, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, Matthew 7, 3, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Matthew 7, 4, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. Now, if you have a log in your eye, using the metaphor that Jesus gave, a log, imagine if you had a telephone pole coming out of your eye, and you were trying to investigate other people's eyes. Poof, 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 you'd be... You'd be knocking people all around. You first got to remove the pole, the plank out of your eye. Then you will be able to see clearly to do what? To remove the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, the text is not saying don't judge. It's just saying make sure you look at your own life before you start passing judgment on everybody else. You'll be able to see clearly if there's a speck in your brother's eye once you take the pole out of your own eye. It's not saying don't judge. It's just saying don't judge, key, hypocritically. That's what's forbidden. Don't be a hypocrite when you judge. If you're doing the same thing that you're accusing the other person of, you better first look at your life because you might have a telephone pole in your eye. Take that out first and then you'll be able to see clearly. That's why Jesus says next, you hypocrite, First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then notice what happens. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine or pigs, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this this to me says that when you are interacting with folks, you have to, you need discernment about what you put before people and how they're gonna treat it. And if you put your, if you give a pig pearls, 
It has no idea about the value, right? It's just gonna probably roll around in the mud a little bit more and oink a few more times, right? It doesn't know value. Or you're gonna be trampled, or what you say is gonna be trampled, or you'll be torn. Dogs and pigs in Jewish society were the least, uh, they were looked down on the most as unclean and unholy. And then notice what Jesus says. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Context, interesting, isn't it? Context, how you deal with people. How much to say and not to say. When to maybe pull back and say, you're not ready to hear this, or I'll be praying for you. It seems to me, at least in this particular setting, that the ask, seek, and knock has to do with interactions with people and not getting into ridiculous, unprofitable, speculative discussions that are gonna produce no fruit. Everybody with me? Back to Titus. So Christians are to engage in what is profitable, and it's not always easy to know, is it? Sometimes you, you gotta test the waters a little bit, you push on doors, you see if someone's open to spiritual things, and if they're not, then sometimes you just have to say, I'm just gonna pray for that person, and you may look for a future opportunity, but uh, we need discernment on these things, right? Uh, we were in a pastor's meeting some months ago, and Pastor Brian, we were talking about to-do lists. Everybody got their to-do lists, right? And he said he read a pastor recently who said we should also have a to-don't list. Pretty cool, huh? Because yeah. we're, we're big on our to-do list. Got it, got to do this, 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 this. How many of you are bullet point people? Boom, 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 right? Well, how many of you have a to-don't list? Just a few of you. <laughs> anyway, it's not a bad idea. When a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man, Proverbs 29, 9, the foolish man either rages or laughs, and there is no rest. When a, when a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man, it seems like it can often go south, right? Walter Martin said, controversy for the sake of controversy is sin. Controversy for the sake of truth is a divine command. And we need to know the difference. What are foolish controversies? Well, in these verses, if you look at verse nine again in Titus three, they're about genealogies. Uh, apparently there were some Jewish teachers and rabbis that got into these weird family trees and genealogies and reading between the lines and all of that. And they, were into, they got into strife. It's, it's people who just wanna argue for the sake of arguing and disputes about the law. Paul says when someone uses the law, the law lawfully, it's good. But if you use the law unlawfully, all you do is mess with people. The law has become our tutor to drive us to Christ because we're saved by grace. So if you use the law lawfully, look, the law still applies. We shouldn't murder people, right? As Christians, that still applies. But Christ has fulfilled the law. He's become the end of the law. And in the first century, we know there were people going around and they were saying, oh, you gotta keep the law to be a Christian. And look, you can keep the, the essence of the law by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are many discussions that just become, look at the end of verse 10, uh, they become, or uh, I'm sorry, verse nine, they become un unprofitable and what? Worthless. They become worthless. Now that's the setting for verse 10. Verse 10 says, reject a factious man, 
Verse 10, reject a factious man, a person who stirs up division after a first and second warning. Apparently, with a factious person, you don't even need to count to three. So for parents, uh, this is really good news. All right, so when little Johnny's, don't even count to three, it's only two now, okay? You can write that down, you can quote me. One, two! (laughs) You don't even need a three. That's really not the context, but I thought maybe there would be an application. We're to reject a factious man, and I think here this is a false teacher in the context, a person who stirs up division, ESV, after a first and second warning. The ESV and NIV says, have nothing to do with him after he's warned. Two warnings. The word for factious here is hereticos, which is where we get the word heretic. But at this point in history, the word didn't mean what we, it came to be known as. A heretic was someone who held a strong-willed opinion and upon confrontation with truth would not change his mind. Now in Titus chapter uh, 3 verse 5, which is what we're going through right now, it also mentions mercy, God's mercy. We've heard this term before, but in this case, biblically speaking, what is God's mercy? Well, mercy is, you know, we deserve to get something and we don't get it, right? So, you know, uh, if, if someone, for example, was on death row and they cried out, mercy, mercy, and let's say a governor got a phone call and gave them a reprieve, that would be an act of mercy. It would be giving someone what they don't deserve, giving them mercy, even though they deserve judgment. And that's really what's going on here is that God is benevolent, even though we deserve to be dealt with harshly. So if I'm reading you right, even if I was a good person, if I did good things, if I had good thoughts, and if I treated others well, um, I'm still attainable to this judgment that God has laid out for me? Still culpable to the judgment, Oscar, because in that very verse, it says we are not saved on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Isaiah 64, a verse you know well, says um, our righteous deeds are like what? Filthy rags before the Lord. So people, we as people, and this is where hopefully this can make sense to people because I know this is a struggle. Some people say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Um, because usually what they're doing is they're judging themselves by the actions of others. So compared to that guy, I've done pretty well. You know, <laughs> I've been faithful to my wife. I, I show up at work every day, whatever, whatever your list is. I, I help with this, uh, you know, this nonprofit, you fill in the blank. But here's the problem. All of our deeds done in righteousness are still not going to cut it because we are not perfect because we've sinned against God over and over again. And somebody could say, well, but is that really fair? Well, here's the thing. You you could say, well, you know, I go to work every day and I've only robbed uh, three banks in my lifetime or I've only done this or that. Look, the one act of transgression of the law makes you accountable. Your other deeds don't offset. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.